Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 88. Today's big Bible question, what did Jesus pray three times for future Christians? And a similar question, what is a greater threat to our country than hashtag COVID-19? So hello, everybody. Welcome into day number eight of Shelter in Place for those of us in Central California. I should have marked a week yesterday, but hours sort of bleed into days, into weeks right now. Things are kind of surreal here, but heaven is not shook. The king is on his throne. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to intercede for his people. So let us be praying to him for repentance, forgiveness, and healing of our land as we face this plague. He is faithful. Today's readings include Exodus 38, Proverbs 14, John 17, and Philippians 1. Now our focus passage for the day is John 17, and we're going to look at the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the entire Bible. I'm not going to make you wait very long at all to see what Jesus prayed for three times when praying to his father for future followers of Jesus. So let's read John 17 now and see if you can pick it up. John chapter 17, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known Known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. 
I am in them and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. So did you catch it? Three times he prayed that his followers would be one, not just any type of oneness either. Look at verse 21. May they all be one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. In verse 22, I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. Jesus was praying that his future followers, us, would have the same oneness with each other as Jesus and the Father have with each other. In other words, that we would be completely one, that we would be in complete unity. It's an incredible prayer. And I think it's a tremendous tragedy that Christians don't take this call to unity more seriously. Far too often, Christians are ready to separate from each other for various doctrinal, personal injury, or personal belief type issues. The net result of this is incredible division in the church, tens of thousands of denominations, maybe more than that, and an incredible confusion of our message of the good news of Jesus to the world. As Jesus notes, when Christians are in unity with each other, experiencing the oneness that is shared by the Holy Trinity, then the whole world believes that the Father sent Jesus. I don't think it's a leap in logic at all to affirm the converse of that statement, that the people of the world have no idea what to believe when Christians are not in unity. So about 35 years ago, the comedian Emo Phillips wrote a joke that was voted as the funniest joke in religion history several years ago. I actually think it's a little more sad than funny, but I want to read it to you without endorsing Emo at all because I'm kind of unfamiliar with most of his comedy. But I do find the joke very insightful. So this is Emo Phillips' joke. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump and I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. And so I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? And he said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? And he said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. And I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist, Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1912? He said... Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die heretic, and I pushed him over. So that's kind of an insightful joke that's a little 
spot on sometimes. I believe that many people outside of Christianity view the church in that sort of a way. There's so many splinters in Christendom that they either laugh or dismiss us or don't really know who to turn to for big questions and help during a crisis. I'm not saying we should compromise over clear doctrines of the Bible, but the fact of the matter is our disunity disrupts our message and it's sad and it's a deadly danger to the church. I've seen deep, deep Christian brothers and sisters separate over issues that didn't involve major sin or compromise or even a disagreement over major doctrines, but really over more minor and disputed issues. Every time I see it, it grieves me because that's not at all what Jesus prayed for in his people. And I'm not always sure how we can justify separation from other believers over such things when Jesus clearly seems to be praying for the opposite. It's not just the church. Now, I'm talking about the big C church, the whole group of us. Uh, To be clear, I'm very blessed to experience remarkable unity in the last two, actually the last three churches I've served in. Um, But I'm thinking more of the big church here, the, the capital C church, all of the followers of Jesus spread across, you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of denominations. But I want to think about our country. I'm in the United States of America. You might be in Australia or the United Kingdom or Canada or someplace like that. But consider this striking teaching of Jesus in the context of what is going on right now in my country, which is very divided, or the United Kingdom, which I also gather is very divided, or perhaps your country, and in light of the current pandemic. Matthew 12, 25, Jesus says this, Knowing their thoughts, Jesus told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. I very rarely discuss politics on this podcast, and I just as rarely discuss it in a church setting as a pastor. Uh, Not because I believe the Constitution silences preachers. That is not at all what Thomas Jefferson intended with separation of church and state. If you don't believe me, kind of read about what he wrote in talking about the doctrine of separation of church and state, you know, his letters to the Danbury Baptist, etc. But I, I don't avoid it because I think it's unconstitutional. I avoid it because I find politics, especially the last 10 years, maybe the last 30 years, to be deeply divisive. And I honestly try to avoid that which is divisive in the body of Christ. But if you will suffer the tiniest bit of political commentary, I'm going to give it now. The United States and many countries around the world, we're facing the gravest crisis we've seen since World War II, really. I suppose you could say the Cuban Missile Crisis, if it had led to nuclear war, well, that would have been pretty bad, too. Um, We could include that in this realm, I suppose. But consider what Jesus said in light of the United States or in light of your country. My country is the most divided and polarized that it has ever been in my lifetime. I mean, people just just hating each other and hating members of the opposition party and, and just writing the most awful things and saying the most awful things. It's sickening. It's alarming. And before you start pointing fingers at the other guy, whoever they may be, allow me to say very gently that there's really nobody out there right now in all of the political arenas that can pick up stones and throw them. In other words, there's nobody innocent that I've seen. Every politician I am aware of, at least on a national level, seems to be fueling the fires of division and attack 
rather than seeking to bring about the kind of unity that's honestly right now required to save the nation. Now, there may be some exceptions, and maybe I'm not thinking of them or I don't know about them. But the bottom line is this. Jesus says that a house divided cannot and will not be able to stand. That's scary when you look at the the venom right now tossed between the Republicans to the Democrats and the Democrats to the Republicans. And again, you might have a dog in the hunt, uh, but your dog's not innocent. The, I, it's it's being the venom is being tossed from both sides. We're a divided nation. We are a divided nation, according to Jesus. Divided kingdoms are headed for destruction. Now, look, I'm not pointing fingers at our president or our previous president or your prime minister or what have you. There's massive amounts of blame out there. And honestly, it seems like millions of Americans on both sides of the aisle and even uh, libertarians and nonpartisans in the middle, it seems like we all seem to delight in attacking, criticizing, snarling, snarking, arguing, judging, and prognosticating doom right now. I'm worried more about what this toxic atmosphere will do to our country and is doing to our country than I worry what COVID-19 will do to us. And I'm plenty worried about COVID-19. According to Jesus, though, we cannot stand against this threat divided and hating each other. Some of you are massive partisans, meaning you root with all your heart for your party and with all your heart against the other party. The problem is the other party, no matter which one it is, represents about half of Americans. I guess if you really divvied it up, there'd be about a third Republicans, a third Democrats, and a third of people that are either neutral or sort of shift back and forth between that. But bottom line, oh, roughly half this country leans sort of Republican, roughly half the country leans sort of Democrat if you made them choose. And you can't hate them and despise them without risking the destruction of the whole enterprise. Imagine that your words, spoken or written or posted on social media, imagine they're like bullets. And you and I and the rest of the Democrats and Republicans and all of us in between are on a floating raft on the ocean. Every time you or I let loose a vehement attack, a hateful insult, an angry criticism, or whatever, you fire a bullet. Maybe you're firing at a good target. Maybe you just think you are. But maybe that bullet strikes its target and somebody on board the boat, an American in our case, is wounded or killed. Maybe that bullet misses, though, and it lodges into the raft itself, and the whole thing that is keeping you afloat is threatened. Our life raft, of this country at least, we can't take bullet after bullet after bullet. How do I know this? Well, I'm going back to Jesus the Master. He said a kingdom divided against itself will be destroyed, and you know what? I believe him. So, brothers and sisters, especially those of you that call on the name of Jesus, lay down your guns. I'm not saying you have to agree with the other side. I'm not saying you have to call evil good or anything like that. I am saying what Paul said in Galatians 5, 14 through 15, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, 
Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So that passage in Jesus's house divided speech don't just apply to the church. They apply to marriages. They apply to friendships, to small groups, to large groups, workplaces, and yes, countries and cities and governments and states. Our greatest danger right now in the good old U.S. of A. is not COVID-19, as bad as it is. Our greatest danger is that we seem to be expressing far more hate for our neighbor than love for our neighbor. I can understand that dynamic a little bit with people that do not claim the name of Jesus. I can understand that because things are so polarized. Many of us have been tempted to think that the person on the opposite end of our party or our belief is our enemy, but that is not how the people of Jesus are allowed to behave. If we have enemies, we bless them, we pray for them. We love them. So let's close with these anointed words of God that hopefully for some of us might sufficiently uh, point us in a different and a better direction. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy compete complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Romans fifteen five and 6, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And what Paul's here, you And some of you are saying right now, hey, these are verses for the church. These aren't verses for our country. And yes, on the surface, these are true things. But I guarantee you, each one of these passages can also apply to our country and your country and whatever situation you're facing, especially the Jesus passage that a kingdom divided will be destroyed. I don't know about you guys. I don't want my country destroyed. Do I want it to repent? Yes. Do I want it to turn to Jesus? Absolutely. Do I want revival? Yes, yes, and amen. Do I want the United States of America to be destroyed? No. I live in it. My family lives in it. My friends live in it. My kids live in it. I don't want this country destroyed because we can't be in unity. I want us to listen to the Word of God and follow it. And this applies to us, brothers and sisters. It applies to the way we deal with the world. First Peter 3, 8, 9. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay 
play evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And let me say this, brothers and sisters, the Bible, this passage doesn't read like this. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult to your Christian brothers, But, you know, if it's somebody that's not a Christian or if it's politics or football or something you're passionate about, you know, be my guest. Repay evil with evil and serve up insult for insult because you got to give them as good as you're getting. No, it doesn't say that. There's no exception clause. The fact of the matter is the unbroken word of God says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. It says, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this You were called. Why? So that you may inherit a blessing. So I'm not going to lionize a leader that does the opposite of this, and neither should you, no matter what side of the aisle that leader is on. We're not called to repay evil with evil. We're called to repay evil with a blessing. Is that easy? Of course it isn't. But doing anything but that is just going to do more harm to our church, our country, our family, etc. Romans twelve sixteen: live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. And I'll close with this Charles Spurgeon, a very short quote. He said, Christ would have all his people joined in communion with himself and with his Father, and when that is the case, then men will know that Christ came into the world for a definite purpose, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And to that I say yes and amen. Two things we've talked about today, brothers and sisters. We've talked about unity in the church, which when we have that, it broadcasts to the world that God the Father sent Jesus the Son with the message of salvation. But we've also talked about unity in our countries, which is a slightly different thing, but all of these unity fat passages speak to that as well. We are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We are to return insult. I'm sorry, we are to return blessing for insult, etc. When we do that, this country will see healing, real healing, deep healing. And may the Lord grant that we repent of our attacks of each other and our factions, etc., etc., in time to avoid the kind of destruction that Jesus proclaimed is coming for kingdoms that are divided. Exodus 38 verse 1, Bezalel constructed the altar of burnt offering from acacia wood. It was square, seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and it was four and a half feet high. He made horns for it on its four corners, and the horns were of one piece with it. Then he overlaid it with bronze. He made all of the altar's utensils, the pot, shovels, basins, meat forks, and fire pans. He made all of its utensils of bronze. He constructed for the altar a a grate of bronze mesh under its ledge, halfway up from the bottom. He cast four rings at the four corners of the bronze grates as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. Then he inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar in order to carry it with them. He constructed the altar with boards so that it was hollow. He made the bronze basin and its stand from the bronze mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then he made the courtyard. The hangings on the south side of the courtyard were of finely spun linen, 150 feet long, including their 20 posts and their 20 bronze bases, with silver hooks and silver bands for the posts. The hangings on the north side were also 150 feet long, including their 20 posts and 20 bronze bases. The hooks and bands of the posts were silver. The hangings on the west side were 75 feet long, including their 10 posts and their 10 bases, 
houses with silver hooks and silver bands for the posts, and for the east side towards the sunrise, 75 feet long. The hangings on one side of the gate were 22 and a half feet, including their three posts and their three bases. It was the same for the other side of the courtyard gate. The hangings were 22 and a half feet, including their three posts and their three bases. All the hangings around the courtyard were of finely spun linen. The bases for the posts were bronze, the hooks and bands of the posts were silver, and the plating for the tops of the posts was silver. All the posts of the courtyard were banded with silver. The screen for the great gate of the courtyard was made of finely spun linen, expertly embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. It was 30 feet long and like the hangings of the courtyard, 7.5 feet high. It had four posts with their four bronze bases. Their hooks were silver and their top plating in their hands were silver. All the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the surrounding courtyard were bronze. This is the inventory for the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony that was recorded at Moses' command. It was the work of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made everything that the Lord commanded Moses. With him was Aholiab, son of Ahashamach, of the tribe of Dan, a gem cutter, a designer, and an embroiderer with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. All the gold of the presentation offering that was used for the project and all the work on the sanctuary was 2,193 pounds, 2,193, according to the sanctuary shekel. The silver from those of the community who were registered was 7,544 pounds, according to the sanctuary shekel. One-fifth of an ounce per man, that is, half a shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, from everyone 20 years old or more who had crossed over to the registered group 603,550 men. There were 7,500 pounds of silver used to cast the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the curtain, 100 bases from 7,500 pounds, 75 pounds for each base. With the remaining 44 pounds, he made the hooks for the posts, overlaid their tops, and supplied bands for them. The bronze of the presentation offering totaled 5,310 pounds. He made with it the basis for the entrance to the tent of meeting, the bronze altar and its bronze gate, all the utensils for the altar, the basis for the surrounding courtyard, the basis for the gate of the courtyard, all the tent pegs for the tabernacle, and all the tent pegs for the surrounding courtyard. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 1. Every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Whoever lives with integrity fears the Lord, but the one who is devious in his ways despises him. The proud speech of a fool brings a rod of discipline, but the lips of the wise protect them. Where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty, but an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. An honest witness does not deceive, but a dishonest witness utters lies. A mocker seeks wisdom and doesn't find it, but knowledge comes easily to the perceptive. Stay away from a foolish person, you will gain no knowledge from his speech. The sensible person's wisdom is to consider his way, but the stupidity of fools deceives them. Fools mock at making reparation, but there is goodwill among the upright. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no outsider shares in its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Even in laughter a heart may be sad, and joy may be end in grief. The disloyal one will get what his conduct deserves, and a good one what his deeds deserve. 
observed. The inexperienced one believes anything, but the sensible one watches his steps. A wise person is cautious and turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and is careless. A quick-tempered person acts foolishly, and one who schemes is hated. The inexperienced inherit foolishness, but the sensible are crowned with knowledge. The evil bow before those who are good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. A poor person is hated even by his neighbor, but there are many who love the rich. The one who despises his neighbor sins, but whoever shows kindness to the poor will be happy. Don't those who plan evil go astray, but those who plan good find loyalty and faithfulness. There is profit in all hard work, but endless talk only leads to poverty. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the foolishness of fools produces foolishness. A truthful witness rescues lives, but one who utters lies is deceitful. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. A large population is a king's splendor, but a shortage of people is a ruler's devastation. A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. The one who opposes the poor person insults his maker, but one who is kind to the needy honors him the wicked one is thrown by his own down by his own sin but the righteous one has a refuge in his death. Wisdom resides in the heart of the discerning. She is known even among fools. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. A king favors a prudent servant, but his anger falls on a disgraceful one. Finally, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in prayer, every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me is really serve to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. 
I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Brothers and sisters, no matter what happens to us, let our manner of lives be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And may we glorify him in all that we do. I pray and hope that the word of God was an encouragement to you today. I know it was for me. In these dark hours, we need all the encouragement we can get. So I encourage you to share this with your friends and to let the word find home in your heart and let it um, lift you up and edify you in Jesus' name. God bless you and Godspeed.